Welcome to the Theories of Change podcast, a series of conversations amongst young Africans who are committed to the development of the continent in a meaningful way. My name is Ola Doe, and I am one of your hosts. And during the episode, you will meet my co-host, Kristen, and our guest on the show. Hi, everyone. We're back on Theories of Change. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to be talking about Pan-Africanism with Lolan um, and Kristen. So um, I guess the way the conversation is going today is just sort of understanding what Pan-African, Pan, excuse my, what Pan-Africanism means, um, what does it mean to be a Pan-Africanist, if that's the right word, Lolan? Yes, I believe that's the correct term. <laughs> yes. Um, um, and why we should sort of be considering it as a theory of change. So the, the conversation is going to go around sort of defining it and understanding it as a theory of change. So I'm going to let Lolan introduce himself and then we can carry on from there. Hi, I'm Lolan Segomosis. I am an anti-corruption lawyer and activist from Ghana. Um, and I consider myself a Pan-Africanist. Um, I have been thinking about, um, talking about, reading about Pan-Africanism, I'll say maybe since my high school days, I attended high school with Harriet. Um, in uh, high school in Ghana with 17 people from 17 different African countries and run by Kwame Nkrumah's um, daughter-in-law. So that was quite an experience. I think it was a, a little bit of Pan-Africanist indoctrination. Um, I then proceeded to university in the US where I wrote my final year thesis in the political and social thought program at the University of Virginia on a history of Pan-Africanism. So I've been reading that thesis um, mm -hmm. in preparation for this podcast. Um, <laughs> and the, the title was The World Runs Dry, The Socioeconomic Costs of Political Success, Pan-Africanism as a Quest for Racial Equality Through National Independence. Wow. Um, yeah, so I explored the history of Pan-Africanism from the early 1900s to about the 19 late 1960s early 1970s um and i will i will draw from some of the ideas i discussed which draw from several theorists of the movement um, over several years um so that's that's about me um and okay. i'll hand it back to Aladdin. <laughs> okay thank you so much and that that's like actually perfect and um i think that maybe before we sort of get into talking about theories of change or what Pan-Africanism, well, I don't know, maybe we could start with you telling us what it is and what about it that sort of drew you to it in the first place. Like, why did you, what what was it that made you start thinking, okay, I'm a Pan-Africanist? But maybe before then, let's sort of even define the word for people who only have a sort of vague idea of what it is. Okay, it's, well... Um, it's a very difficult term to define because unlike other intellectual movements, let's say Marxism, which sprang from the ideas of Karl Marx and, and Engels, um, and you can't you can trace the history of Marxism to a seminal text um, or to the writings of a few intellectuals. Pan-Africanism developed over 
several years and through the mm -hmm. efforts of several different activists um, and thinkers. Um, and in its earliest forms, I'll say Pan-Africanism expressed itself or was expressed as um, Black pride and achievements. So an assertion that Black people globally um, were the equals of other races. Um, and that form of expression of Pan-Africanism um, was most popular in mm. the pre-independence um, era. So I'm talking about before the 1900s. Um, and then you have the more formal Pan-Africanism, which most people are used to, and which, which most people trace to the Pan-African Congresses, starting with the 1900 Congress organized by a Trinidadian lawyer, Henry Sylvester Williams, um, and then um, continuing with the 1919 Conference organized um, by W.E.B. Du Bois, um, there was a subsequent conference in 1925, and then the famous 1945 Manchester Conference, which was attended by the likes of Nkrumah, um, Kaunda, um, Nyerere, um, and other, other um, post-independence or independence African leaders. Um, so it has a long history. I define it as a quest for racial equality through national independence. Because I think from its earliest expressions to the independence days, it was always about, about a quest for racial equality. Um, right. And a session that Black people globally are equal to all other races globally. Mm -hmm. um, and in its later years, it found expression through a quest for independence for African nations. Um, mm. political independence from imperial powers. So right. that, that is the most common, I'll say, the most kind of common understanding of Pan-Africanism that we have today. Um, and perhaps we need to think about redefining it for the 21st century because um, we have achieved formal political independence for all African, all African nations or um, all African nation states. Um, but there are still forms of dependency and neocolonialism and other challenges facing African nations and Black people globally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's how I, I would define Pan-Africanism or how Pan-Africanism has been defined. But I think there needs to be some redefinition of Pan-Africanism for this era. Um, and I don't know whether you want me to also speak to how I became a Pan-Africanist. Um, yeah, that I think I'm just curious to know. I think because for me, when I think of, well, before you sort of spoke about it vaguely, right? My vague yeah. Pan-Africanism was just thinking about like, oh, the African Union and just this yeah. togetherness of all African countries. But I didn't know what that meant, right? It was just, oh, African countries doing stuff together. So yeah. when say it from the perspective of racial equality, when you say it from the perspective of independence, then then I realize that it's not even so much sameness, but it's sort of a common goal that we have of, um, what's the word, maybe fighting for more than an, our independence, but our, yeah. I don't even know what the word is. Um, well, I, I would say it's perhaps our, 
a recognition of our humanity right. and our right to self-actualization. Right. So it goes beyond political independence because really from its very earliest days, um, Pan-Africanism was not about just the political borders. That became a goal of the Pan-Africanist movement in mm -hmm. the 1950s and 60s. But some of the earliest theorists and leaders of the Pan-Africanist movement were Caribbean thinkers and lawyers and activists and African-Americans like W.E.B. Du Bois, right. know, who, who thought, of, thought of, of the Pan-African nation or the African nation as more than just Africa, right? Um, also Africa's diasporas. Okay. Um, and I think even, even an organization like the African Union recognizes that diaspora as the sixth region of, of Africa. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that is a very Pan-Africanist idea. Um, right. But I, I'll say personally, I um, became a Pan-Africanist um, due to several, several reasons. Um, my upbringing in Ghana, which um, was founded very much on Pan-Africanist ideas. Um, my education in high school like SOS Herman Minor College with people from all across the continent, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Ethiopia. Um, a very deliberate attempt, I think, by my parents um, throughout my childhood to expose me to other African countries. So um, our family holidays were in Cote d'Ivoire or Senegal or Zimbabwe. I was very privileged to be able to do that, but that okay. showed me that there were prosperous, um, um, functional African countries beyond Ghana. <laughs> so many yeah. functioned, functioned better than Ghana. Um, yeah. That had had a lot of things in common with Ghana. Um, and then education in the US also exposed me to Black Americans um, and mm -hmm. the shared history um, an identity that African people and Caribbean people have with them. Right? There are a lot of differences, but there are also a lot of commonalities between us. So I think those various factors influenced my outlook as a Pan-Africanist. Right. I, th I think that's, that's definitely a very interesting, interesting um, evolution. And I think it will help sort of listeners appreciate things because yeah, as I say again, like when, when I thought Pan-African, I never sort of think of the entire Black race. And I think it's a very powerful um, change in perspective because, um, so my dad often goes to um, sometimes give some executive training at Howard University. And he keeps, mm -hmm. he keeps talking about the importance of, of kind of joining forces, right? Of, of the African-American sort of seeing Africa as a place where they also can contribute and develop and have a link and partnership. So, yeah, I think I think that's that's sort of a it's a really powerful I think definition and it's one that's quite illuminating for me at least. Um, so I want to kind of move on now that we have established a sort of base level in terms of what it means to why we should. Um, think about it as a theory of change. And maybe as part of that question, 
also thinking about why we should be Pan-Africanists. So like, I, I don't know how you might, whether which one you'd want, to, which one you think makes sense to answer first in terms of why we should be Pan-Africanist or why we should consider it as a theory of change. And I don't know if Kristen has any ideas in terms of what would make sense for this discussion. Because I know I realize Kristen has been silent and I'd like her to, to join in. Well, you didn't, you, you didn't actually bring me into the conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, on this podcast, Kristen and I have this everlasting argument of the fact that we're co-hosts and so she should feel free. No, 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 no. I think you wrote an extended treatise that explains that you're moderating a conversation between myself and Lowland and making sure that you're standing in for the average user right? or the average listener in this case. So I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but please go on. I've been enjoying being an audience member. <laughs> um, okay, fine. Actually, let me, let me bring you in before we go back to Lowland. Kristen, what do you have, what do you say to Lowland's definition of Pan-Africanism? Um, how do you, yeah, what's, what's sort of your, what's your take on it? Personally, do you yeah, agree? I, mean, what's I find it. Yeah, I, I I found it interesting, sort of hearing um, um, you talk about Pan Africanism, Lolan. Um, I remember sort of thinking about in the way that you had initially started to talk about, wondering how you thought that this interacted with something like negritude, um, mm-hmm. and whether the sort of movement towards more, I don't know obviously um, political framework was some yeah. sort of attempt to distinguish it from um, negritude as a movement, which was maybe a lot more intellectual. Yeah. Um, Sorry, can I perhaps for some. Kristen, yeah? can, can you use a different word? Negritude? Yes, please, thank you. <laughs> but the word is negritude, like it's a movement, like Pan-Africanism. Okay, fine, can you explain that term then for all of us who... Oh, Oh, okay. So, so like Pan-Africanism is like a framework, right? It's like a, it's a framework for critique for literary theory. So like I was saying, Negritude um, is a lot more, I guess, intellectual invent, a lot more maybe philosophical. Um, and of course, then comes from our Franklin brothers because they're always good at that um, highfalutin theoretical stuff. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> So I think it shows up, it shows up somewhere in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pan-Africanism has by this time been an extremely active movement it's informing Black culture, Black art, um, you know, Black diasporan relationships. Um, and Negritude sort of comes in to interpolate this kind of like Black consciousness movement um, mm-hmm. a bit. And so I'm then wondering if just based on the historical album you provide if negritude kind of pushes pan-Africanism um, toward this sort of more um, political um, framework in order to like more clearly distinguish itself. Um, so I'd love to hear about that from you. And then I'd actually love for us to talk about how it functions um, both historically and then currently. This is pan-Africanism um, yeah. as a theory of change. That's, that's a very interesting question, Kristen. Um, I think that the distinction you draw is perhaps accurate. Um, the negative thinkers like um, Leopold Senghor, um, while also 
espousing theories of racial equality, racial pride um, for black people, especially black people within the former French colonies, at that, that, at that time French colonies, were a lot less radical in their political um, approach, I think, than, than Pan-Africanists. So um, people like Singor, for example, were deputies in the French parliament um, and perhaps saw, sought a more gradualist approach to independence, I would say, than Pan-Africanist thinkers. Um, Pan-Africanists like Nkrumah, Du Bois, really were about well, overthrowing colonialist systems. Um, some would argue that in the end, many of them settled for replacing replacing colonial leaders with with Black African leaders without really examining or challenging the colonial nation states as much as they could have, maybe with the exception of Nkrumah. But I think the distinction between Pan-Africanists and the negritude movement was certainly the political, the very clear political goals of the Pan-Africanist movement. Um, your second question, I'm forgetting it now, sorry, in my train of thought. Um, how, I think you said you want us to discuss what Pan-Africanism was and how it's expressed now, am I right? Well, the idea is how it functions really as a theory of change. I asked this because yeah. Um, and I think it's related to what you were touching on on your last point um, yeah. about how they replaced sort of white colonial leaders with black yeah. colonial leaders, right? Yeah. But didn't actually mantle colonialism. So how does Pan-Africanism, in fact, um, function as a theory of change? How does it function as a theory of change in comparison to something like negritude? Mm. Or maybe even in, in, in a vacuum, I'm, I'm sort of interested um, and then it, I think, allows us to maybe pull on the thread about the redefinition of Pan-Africanism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd love, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So Pan-Africanism functions as a theory of change if you remove it from, if you if you free it from the limitations of the political goal of independence. If you think of Pan-Africanism as a quest for racial equality, um, then that quest transcends national borders, transcends ethnicity, um, and embraces Africans, not just on the continent, but beyond the continent. So it's, it's an assertion of our humanity, inequality with the humanity of all other people globally. And that's can be a very radical idea because our current political systems and structures globally are very much built, political and economic systems and structures have historically been built on the marginaliz marginalization of black people globally um, and on the idea that black people, black countries are inferior. And that idea is a very deep, um, deeply rooted idea because even black Africans can consciously or, or unconsciously subscribe to that idea. 
Um, and I think some, some Black Africans unconsciously subscribe to that idea um, by accepting Western forms of governance, Western religion as intrinsically better than African, African forms and African sources of, of these same um, social constructs without recognizing it. So, I mean, for example, why do, why would a Black African just think that, well, Christ, a white Christ for that matter is good and any form of African religion is evil. You know, that idea was planted by colonialism, but that survived colonialism. Um, and you find a lot of Black Africans today who would turn their noses up at libation, at expressions of African religion, will call them evil, will refer to them as witchcraft, um, without recognizing that all of these ideas are not are not native to the African the African ethnicity, so the African people who we are from. Um, and so Pan-Africanism, if you separate it from just being a quest for national independence, really attacks these very colonial ideas. Um, and that is how it can function as a theory of change. If, if you divorce it from just a pure quest for national independence. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. And I think that's, that's kind of a lot to unpack because um, th there's so many, I guess there's so many pieces to that, right? It's, it's, but I, I guess as, as you talk about, it's just this idea, prevailing idea that we are not inferior. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's really, I think that's really the underlying issue, right? In all of, in all of our discussions, it's just this consistent idea of our inferiority and how that then plays out in, in what our realities are. So in terms of our politics and our economies and those kinds of things. Um, so, but then thinking about like hum like us, so let's say us Africans ourselves and, and, and mm -hmm. playing an active role in saying, okay, you know what, we're going to, to kind of redefine this Pan-Africanism. We're going to remove this limitation where the focus is only on independence. Um, but actually, let me finish my train of thought. So where the focus is only on independence and focus mm -hmm. more than looking at sort of our humanity, right? Yeah. Do you think we can, like, I, I, I think this is, I don't, I'm not sure about this question, but I'll ask you anyway. Do you think that we can even do that? Because we aren't, I wouldn't even say we are even independent right now. We're just independent in name and in terms of, oh, we have an independence day. But yeah. in the real, in the reality of it, the independence is not even there. Um, so I wonder if, how um, you imagine our, um, like this definition shift from independence how are you imagine that playing out in terms of our then seeing ourselves differently and that then going to influence our creating policies that work for us and our governance that works for us and all of those things? 
that's a very know. good yeah um <laughs> that's that's a very good question a very tough question how do we think beyond independence when first of all we are our independence may only be be well i don't want to say theoretical but yeah. our, our independence may be challenged um our independence is in many ways limited. Hold on a second. Sure. Yeah. Um, sorry, my fiance is just <laughs> asking if she can pass through. Um, how do we th how do we think beyond independence when our independence itself is fraught? I think. Well, I think first of all, we need to realize that our independence is fraught partly because we we limited our thinking to independence um, and didn't go beyond that to think how do we how do we deliver functional progress and the ability to self-actualize for african people so Af african nation states don't think beyond that i think right um, yes so, so, and, so i guess saying that the problem was even sticking with independence in the first place right and the problem was yes the problem was stopping at independence so if you look at someone like Nkrumah who I would say broke from a lot of the pan-Africanist leaders in his thinking or, or thoughts beyond them Nkrumah did a number of things for instance he rewrote the Ghanaian constitution to at some point say Ghana is willing to sacrifice sovereignty for the dream of a united African nation Right, um, which he saw as as a very tangible political goal um, that African nations should have been working towards immediately after independence, mm. um, and he did that for a number of reasons. He argued, for example, that the the design of many African nation states was such that we could not compete on the global stage. Uh, we could not compete in the global economy. Um, and a crisis like the coronavirus crisis, just to take one example, has laid that bear in some striking ways. So I don't know whether you've been following the Africa CDC recently, but the Africa, Africa CDC put together a mechanism to um, order things like PPEs and other supplies necessary to fight coronavirus um, right. in, bulk, in bulk because small African states were struggling um, to compete with larger nations um, for these supplies because suppliers, a supplier looks at a country like Gambia or a country like Namibia, which have just over 2 million people um, and for them, the economies of scale do not work when when a country like Gambia and Namibia are going up against a country like the US. Take New York City, for example, with a population of 8 million. Mm. Um, it's much larger than Gambia and Namibia combined. So if you're a supplier of PPE, who would you provide who would you provide the PPE to in a yeah. war between these two entities? Yeah. So someone like Nkrumah foresaw problems like this and argued that we should go beyond independence and create a continental political 
um, union to address issues like this, to address our economic marginal, marginal, marginalization globally. So one would argue that our independence is fraught because we think of ourselves as nation states and because we stop that independence. Mm. Um, and that is really part of the root of the problem. But then if, if, if we, and actually, Kristen, I want to bring you in here because you've been silent for too long. But if we, um, if we kind of go along that train of thought, I think it's a bit complicated because, you know, in one of the questions that I was thinking of, um, and I was thinking of, I think, as I mentioned, the, how even within each nation yeah. and the different ethnicities, even from that perspective, we can't, we can't get along um, for like, oh, let's work together for the common good of this whole one country, right? It becomes now an ethnic thing. Like how in Nigeria, the president, uh, we have the zoning thing where, okay, if, if, if the president was from the north in one term, the next elections, he has to be from the south and so on and so forth, which are all counterproductive to actually focusing on, on, on the real enemy, whatever that enemy is. Right, is there's a lot of infighting because maybe because of these artificial, um, the, like artificial um, borders that we have, and so because it wasn't a natural kind of uh, like people sort of winning wars and stuff and staking their claims, but people being pushed together, so it sort of feels like even within one country, we're not. Mm -hmm able to to see one vision as you say how are we going to then do that on an african scale that's a that's a very good question but you know the problem of minority groups and minority rights is not peculiar to the african continent um, yeah in in europe for example you have basques um, mm -hmm. trying to fight for their independence from the spanish nation um, right. Yeah, and they've been. You look at the Yugoslavian conflict, for example, was an it was yeah. an ethnic conflict, but that does not mean, for example, that the project of European unity um, is not is is completely not viable. Mm -hmm. um, I think, in fact, ethnic the problem of minority rights or struggles between various ethnic groups can be addressed on a continental level um, by, again, focusing on common human rights for all Black people. So, um, so, for example, if we had a continental human rights body, which could adjudicate, which could adjudicate on, so we have the African Human Rights Court, for example, if that was empowered and respected by all nations, to adjudicate on ethnic issues between countries that could provide a, a solution to some of these ethnic problems. And so I don't think we should we should use the challenges that various ethnic groups have had between within our current nation states mm -hmm. as a reason not to pursue the Pan-Africanist project. Um, because there, there will always be there will always be these frictions and competing interests, um, but they do not invalidate the need for um, continental unity. Right. Kristen, did you want to say something? 
She definitely did, and we will hear more from our co-host Kristen on part two of our Pan-Africanism episode. This is Theories of Change, guys, and my name is Oladwin Phillips. Bye. Till next time. Thank you.